What's up? Welcome to the Confluence VC podcast. This podcast is meant to give you a personal glimpse into the next era of investors and operators. This week we had on Victor Piscucci at Energy Capital Ventures. ECV is a first-time fund focusing on the ESG imperatives and the transformation of the natural gas industry. As a firm, they leverage strong relationships with strategic LPs in the utilities industry to provide a competitive advantage to their portfolio companies. In this talk, we discuss aging infrastructure and the opportunity within the utility sector, applying mental models across different industries, and building a career on the idea of creating versus destroying. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yo, everyone, welcome to the Confluence Podcast. Today, we have one of the people who, for me as a young kid, inspired me the most. We have Vic, which, man, I just got to say thank you, man, (laughs) because you've had some of my best days and worst days. Before I even give a description, I want to say there was a day that Vic doesn't know about where he gave me like a soft offer. Like, yeah, man, we think we're going to go do this when I I was a sophomore in college. And then... I got so excited that I like threw my hands down like, yes, because I really wanted to go home to Chicago. And then my phone flew out of my hand and my screen shattered. (laughs) And then it didn't work out. I was like, man, I'm not even, I don't even have the money from this conversation to fix my phone. So now my heart and my phone's broke. (laughs) Anyway, take all that away. We have Vic Pascucci from Energy Capital Ventures, a great friend, great mentor, uh, great just staple in the community and also someone who's just supported Confluence since day one and me since day zero and uh, just really excited to have him on and talk about his story and what he's working on and uh, maybe just some impart some mentorship type wisdom onto the community. Tyler, it's great to be here. It's been nothing but a joy getting to know you and nothing but great days talking with you and just trying to be a part of, of your life and what you're building. Thank you, man. Well, look, how about to get things started? Because I'm going to give like the the very like, this is the dopest dude of all time, like elevator pitch on you. I think I can and I will if you want, if you let me, but it might be cooler just coming from you. You always have a way of sounding like a super savage assassin, but like also super humble in what you do. So give us a, a quick walkthrough. Yeah. You and I've talked about my road to venture and getting into venture. And I think the only thing to kind of take away from that, people should take away from that is if you want to get in venture, you can. It might not happen how you want it or how you planned or as quick as you want. But if you want to get in venture, you can and you will. Everyone understands. I had a fight, kick, punch, scratch, and armbar my way into venture. I didn't go to the right school, didn't have the right education, had zero network, was from the wrong part of the country but knew I wanted to get in venture. I mean, for all things, I started out as a trial attorney. I'm going to court every day, screaming, yelling, destroying things, dismantling people's cases and just getting out there and fighting. And then I'm meeting these people at night that are like building things and really excited and happy about them. 
they were doing. Those people were investors and entrepreneurs. So I knew, I realized this early on, like, I'm going to spend my life doing this when there's a way to do things where you're actually creating versus destroying. So that got me into tech and that got me into raising money and being on the software side. And then I always wanted to be a mentor and then play the tape forward. And you wake up one day and I was managing a $330 million fund. And so you just have to stick at it and you just got to get after it. Very, very true. I think when we look at the general accumulated volume of people who've had this type of service, there was no reason that I should have made it here other than pure grid hustle. Um, I I would start to say that it's probably like 30% of people on our podcast, which we also are more leaning towards um, people with gritty stories because we find them to be great. Yeah. Um, I was in, first of all, one way or another, from one crazy M&A deal after another, I end up in Texas of all places, right? I ended up kind of winding out the startup I was general, second startup I was general counsel for and get recruited by this Fortune 100 company to be the general counsel for their CIO, CTO, CISO, and head of business operations. I'm sitting there on the staff as a lawyer for these C-level executives that have multi-billion dollar budgets. And they had to be early adopters on technology because they needed to be for their businesses to work. So I'm starting to pound the table going, hey, we need to do deals with these companies. And the response is we are. I'm like, no, you're just buying stuff. We're relying on them. They're relying on us. The best way to align with a company is to put money to work. And the response was, shut up. We don't do that here. You're going to get fired you know, keep your mouth down. That's not how we operate. It's not the right environment. And then I just kind of kept at it. And before I knew it, I got to make one investment, then another, another, then another. And then people were really happy with the results, both strategically and then financially. Strategically, they're going to access the technology. They're seeing how a market's developing. They're de-risking their technology partners. Financially, things start popping, right? IPOs are happening. Acquisitions are happening press is coming in and then that slowly and surely like after a while like here's 330 million bucks and that thing produced companies like truecar care.com personal capital coinbase mx idme and just a string of other great companies and and unicorns and a lot of which have have monetized so awesome you got some emerging ones too extend and you're doing really well you know, but Extend was another one. Like Woody, I met early, I met Woody two companies ago. He was doing a company called Estate Assist. And he's like, yeah, I think there's an angle for insurance here. We connected through a mutual friend. I'm like, all right, let me get you in front of the president of the life insurance company because I think you got a life insurance angle. And I didn't know Woody at all then. He didn't know me. And we just got to be friends. He's like, no one's done that for me. I was like, yeah, let me see how I can help. And, you know, turns around, he sells the company, does well for himself. And he starts doing stuff in crypto and helped a little bit there. Actually, similar to you, tried to recruit him to come work for me. That didn't work out. And then we started his new company. He's like, Vic, I just want you to be an investor. And I was fortunate enough to do that uh, deal. And so his company's doing phenomenal. ClearCover's doing really good. So it's good to see some good folks getting after it. And that same thing with Kyle, guy I'd known forever. Like when he was first starting his career, I was a couple of years ahead of him in the corporate venture game and was able to help him out, provide some points, some tips. And then when he wanted to start his own company, it's just clear I was going to be the first one to play the major bet down there. Well, funny how life works, brother. Yeah. So yeah. now, yeah, you are with a new incredible endeavor. This one actually, I would say your last one helped a lot of great entrepreneurs and helped the city of Chicago, but 
if this new one is going to help the world. Yeah. And I would love for you to dive a bit more into energy capital ventures and yeah. how, that's, how that's come together and where it's going. The new firm was, again, like a lesson to step out of your comfort zone and see how you can take everything you learn, apply it to a new area to help out even more people. So Energy Capital Ventures, we are the only venture firm in the country that's focused on the ESG imperatives and digital transformation of the natural gas industry. In addition to that differentiated thesis, the competitive advantage we have here is that we've got, we are the platform for innovation around natural gas. Because we have this deep integration with companies that want to decarbonize, but they're smart enough, they're authentic enough and self-aware enough to know they can't do it on their own. They want to do it with the entrepreneurial ecosystem. And that's where, you know, where this firm comes in and, and where I come in. And we'll talk about this maybe a little later. There's a lot of people like saying, no, natural gas is bad. And no, it's not bad. There is no inherently bad. There's just different pieces to the energy future that this country has. And part of that's going to be electric. And part of that's going to be with the natural gas infrastructure system. That'll flow things like renewable natural gas and hydrogen mixes. And at some level, natural gas. Not every community is going to have a Tesla, solar panels on the roof, and a battery wall, nor is every business. And there'll be time and place for everything. I went from FinTech and SureTech deep to this, and it was not what I intended to do. But when I was looking for the next thing to do, I made some calls, you know, similar to you, called some people that you'd done good deals with, enjoyed being on the board of. And one is my current partner here, Rick Fatone. And I said, Rick, I'm ready to jump into something new. You're with IA Capital. The model there is you raise money from corporates. You run a fund for financial returns, provide strategic value back. I said, in light of what I did at USAA and U3, and I was chairman of the MBCA committee on corporate venture. Let's do this. This makes sense. He goes, yep, we're going to, but it's not going to be in FinTech. And I was like, what in the hell are you talking about? <laughs> that makes zero sense to me. He's like, go talk to these utility executives read these articles, spend some time and tell me what you think. Okay, fine. Rick and my other partners, Jeff, Jeff Yingling, Ray O'Connor, they've been doing bet the farm transactions with these utility CEOs for decades. So I turn around, I'm like in their offices, talking to them about their businesses. What I'm seeing is it's the same wave of innovation financial services went through 15 years ago is where the utilities are now. Okay, same story, maybe I, the same way I think I helped financial services executives and entrepreneurs, I think I can help here. And if you look at it, you've got a regulated industry with risk-averse cultures that are conservative, have customer service challenges, aging infrastructure, people questioning their business model, new technologies that are going to either enable or disrupt them, and they're competing against companies they never thought they'd compete against. It's like, okay, that sounds like financial services. 15 years ago when marketplace lending was first starting and cryptocurrency and robo-advising and everything else that's out there and different forms of self-insurance. I was like, okay, I can get this. I can help here at the macro. And then I went to the micro as to what are these companies investing in and are these other firms investing in? It's like the same stuff I had done, T and SaaS models. I'm like, okay, this, this makes sense. I think I can get it. And then similar to the early stages of fintech, when everybody was focusing on banking and management and like insurance was this thing. I was like, ah, nah, we're not going to worry about that. That's the slowest and the oldest. We don't know that insurance has a future. It's what people are doing in utilities. Everyone's focusing on electric. And I was like, ah, natural gas. Like, ah, no, the regulators and there's no future there. And I was like, no, there is. And so that's what 
got me into this space. That's what got me here. And that's why I'm really excited about the opportunity because you've got a great industry with great folks in them that run these companies and want to do the right thing. And they want to deal with partnerships with the startup ecosystem. They want help so that the regulators understand the importance of innovation. It's like, okay, I can do that. And it makes sense to me. And it makes sense in the grandest scale to have that huge impact. And it's impact investing. is kind of like a, a thing now, but it's truly impact because you can have a progressive energy mix that's good for all communities, all demographics. It really makes a dent in the planet, in the problems of the planet. Agreed. Yeah, I think not only have you woken up, but a lot of people are. I think you give this seven or eight more years, and by then you'll be rolling in a few funds. But most people have uh, a dedicated person at their fund for these things. Yeah. yeah. yeah call ESG the next crypto. Yeah, I feel like this is where you want to be, not just because it's the trend, but you can really see it's just like financial service. You're now we're seeing that next generation of entrepreneurs that are coming through. And so they, entrepreneurs that appreciate the right mix of industry and tech. And so kind of respect for the infrastructure that's there when it takes to scale and as well as the tech and the innovation that's there. When we saw in the earliest stages of FinTech, people thought just because they understand data that they could underwrite because it was just a math problem. No, not really. You need people that understand the underlying risks to those business models, which came from the industry. And so that's what I'm seeing here. And that's what gets me excited because they're like, yeah, I help those companies grow and you know, you apply your network and that's what you do. Agreed. I'm a, what I found for myself was that becoming a specialist in one area first was amazing for similar reasons that you spoke on, which is you, you get really deep in one space. It teaches you like, this is how deep you need to be able to go. And then all of a sudden you think you're like a incredible investor in that space and you leave and do something. And when you go to that new place, you're like, these are the exact same business models. (laughs) And the exact same trends. I I equate, I use the neobank analogy maybe once a week for some completely unrelated business. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's funny. I tell lots of folks because we're still pitching and we're still out there trying to raise more capital. It's like nothing has changed other than the accents of the people in the room. It didn't matter if I was in Munich, Germany, Texas, or the West Coast, people talking about the same exact thing, even though I'm in a different industry. And it's really kind of all the same. And I think the benefit is having seen things scale in one industry, you understand the mistakes that can be made in this industry. And then it's just kind of having that healthy appreciations. Cause even though I was in FinTech and SureTech for 15 plus years, I still know when I sat across the table from a career long underwriter or a career long product person or someone running one of these PLs, no matter what I think I knew, they knew 10 times more. And so you just got to have that respect for the folks that are in there living it every day. So that said, what are your thoughts on generalist investing versus specialized investing? First of all, you can be successful in this business a lot of different ways. and There's no shortage of successful generalists. I think specialist is the way to go because you get to focus all your efforts on one particular thing. You get to focus your network. You get to focus the resources you've got and you get to be kind of a known quantity in an area. And so even if you want to transition from one area to another over time, I just personally, I don't know how you do a consumer deal one day and be on that board and then be on a uh, life sciences one the next day and then a fintech and then one day and then a straight enterprise infrastructure SaaS the next. I just don't 
I don't know how that works or how you do that, but some people do that and they do it pretty successfully, but I just don't know how you really help change the trajectory that way. Yeah, I agree. I think if we can assume underlying business models aren't that different, then the edge is just when the deals happen in a space where they know it. And have you seen enough of the competitors to choose the right one? Do you have that small edge of context that might get you across the line as a win? Or that might make you say yes to the right one when everyone else wouldn't. That's definitely the edge. If you can do that in a a new space and get ahead of the curve, you're winning. Yeah, that's really about it. You just got to do the work and try to get ahead. How do you go about spotting legacy industries, right? You've been through the disruption cycle, Mm -hmm. through fintech and suretech, and even a lot of enterprise and like kind of adjacently healthcare through some of the things you've done. So you're good at spotting these, but how do you spot them, time them, and how do you actually help them? Because You've kind of, some investors built their brands on being jerks, but elite money. Some investors built their brands on having a wide clip and a few winners and that's what everything they do. But you are one of the rare investors where you built your brand based on a very key set of individuals vouching for you harder than they do almost any of their other board members or close friends or investors. So how, how do you, again, find and help? these trends or legacy uh, industries move into what we would call a trend? I start by looking at where is the infrastructure been around forever. So the people like where's been an infrastructure that's been around for decades and decades and people have invested hundreds of millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars. So whether it's the banking infrastructure, insurance, and then it's okay, there's gotta be another one of these. Healthcare is obviously one. But there's probably none older than freaking the utility side. Most of that infrastructure has been around forever, right? And been paid for with government money and shareholder money and like just hasn't really evolved. If the heat doesn't go on, people fucking die. If the lights don't work, people can't educate. And so what does it really look like for everybody? And so that's what got me in this space. In addition to my friend, Rick, turning me on to this and, and my partners, it was like, okay, I could see it like old infrastructure that's doing something critical for people. And this one is like everything else. It's kind of like financial services. It's families and individuals, it's businesses and it's industry. And so it's crap. The energy sector has got the whole industrial side that's relying on this, right? So how do we take everything we learned and bring it there? So that's, that's what's really it. And then I think on the companies, it's just kind of being super self-aware. What can you know and what are people going to know better and where can you really help? And really like understanding that these folks that like really come off as they're the smartest people in the room and that's their thing. That's what they do. I just don't, that's not my style. It's not my way. And I don't think that helps anybody at the end of the day. Feel that. Well, for you, you've, you actually did an interesting play, right? Where you have the grit and the work. That's clear. And also just the good heart. Uh, but people notice. However, you've also been able to leverage platform before. So anything from corporate to being a major uh, player in a city to now having a strategic LP base. Yeah. How do you think about utilizing that in, within these spaces as well? That's what kind of, uh, so that's one of the other things that brought me this. I think I was, I made a reasonably well-sized impact when I just had one strategic LP to base on, to work from. I was like, 
okay, that did pretty well. And then that was one large Fortune 100 company. And then I went bigger to the global 100. I was like, oh shit, this is some serious scale. And then I was like, okay, that's good. And then I was like, okay, there's all these things I learned in corporate, in corporate venture. And then I took that to traditional venture, like here in Chicago with an early stage fund here. I was like, all right, because a lot of the other venture investors and a lot of the entrepreneurs don't understand the corporate side. And like, you need to work through with or around corporations. That was good. And then I was like, okay, what's next? I was like, wait a second. We're sitting here doing this fun, talking to all these people. I was like, wait a second. If this thing comes off, I could have a dozen corporations, maybe even more to leverage. That's everything I've done, literally times 12. 12 different CEOs, 12 different executive teams, 12 different market segments. 12, I was like, oh my God, because we, we talked about this. I knew early on, I can only know so many things, but I knew I could knew people, know people. And the better I was to people, the more they'd share with me what they knew. And then I can kind of know by osmosis because they'd share with me. I was like, wait a second. If I pull this fund off, I can do this like on steroids. I was like, okay, that's freaking awesome. And so by taking this model, we've got now at Energy Capital Ventures, and we have five LPs right now, uh, publicly traded companies. So it's Avista, Black Hills, Nysource, Spire Energy, and Southwest Gas. And you think about where I got Midwest, I got Southwest, I got a little coastal, awesome folks. So it's like, that's now I'm like scaling to a true platform. It's just not one to one, it's one to many. And it's just been an incredible experience. I woke up, had the first closing July 2nd. We had. 648 connections with entrepreneurs in the first 52 working days. And it was a combination of inbound from the LPs, inbound from my network, accelerators and incubators realizing, oh, there's a fund that's actually doing this around the sector. And so it just started happening. And it was like, shit, this platform thing's working. I got to get some more people on the team and I got to raise some more money. <laughs> so, you know, that's been kind of taking up the time. And so before you know it, you have all these connections and the CRM is full of 800 plus companies. You're drilling down the pipeline into deeper due diligence. Hopefully, I'm not going to hope I come back to you guys in a couple of weeks with a closed deal. And uh, yeah, man, I think just understanding like, okay, what did I, what did I do reasonably well and how can I make it bigger? And it was just like, oh yeah, you just work with people, more people that kind of need your help. And then you just put them all together in a room. So amazing things happen when we bring the five LPs together. They know they should be talking. They just don't have the opportunity or that forcing mechanism. So we kind of use the fund as that. Just okay. say, oh, by the way, you guys are all dealing with the same things. Let's work on it together. Oh, this is great. Yeah, for the LPs, it's beneficial as well. Like they're getting all this insight and relationships, potential acquisitions, targets, partners, yep. distro channels. Yeah. It's, it's, there's so much alignment. Yep. And so it's just a matter of bringing everyone around table. And yeah, you get to kind of act as a Switzerland amongst the people if they are in the same place. And the good thing about this industry one of the benefits of this industry is because the utilities have their own service areas, they're not competing for the same customers. They're all dealing with the same pressures, but NiceSource has their service area, Southwest Gas has theirs. So it's not like they're fighting about customers. There's just like, okay, we need to do what's right for the industry. And we need to do what's right by our shareholders and by our consumers and our customers. I was like, okay, this is awesome. It's the perfect market force. Great. But with that, like, I feel like me, I, I really want to do deep dives on your actual thesis, but we don't have the time today. And I want to just stalk you offline for that. <laughs> cool. How about you let us know if there's anything else you'd like to dive into really quickly. And uh, if not, you can ask us anything in the world you like and we'll answer in full transparency. And then we'll go into a quick fire round. 
Yeah, I think we hit on, on the top level. Like, I'm, I think I just want to help out the audience as, as much as I can to help them in their careers and make some the right decisions for them based on things I've done or not done or seen other folks do. That's, I think, really the, the best use of what I can do for the folks that are out there that are taking time to, to listen to this. Yeah, that's really it. It actually, you guys have the vantage point of running in circles with kind of up and coming VCs and just a different generational aspect than what I'm running into. How are you seeing the younger VC community think about ESG and not just the E in ESG? Like there, people often forget about the S in ESG. Environment's important for sure. We're going to do what's, but there's also society. You got to do what's good for society broadly in everybody in an inclusive way. And then there's the governance side, which is more of our responsibility as, as the teams we're backing and stuff like that. But like, how are you guys, what are you guys hearing from, from your friends, from your business associates, from your kind of generation of folks that are coming up on ESG? Clay, do you want to go first or should I? Oh, you, I need, need a second to think. <laughs> yeah, so I happen to be really, really close with a lot of the folks who are on the impact climate stuff. Like I'm super close with super, super close with some of the founders of the like up and coming ESG startups. I am really close with Mark, the leading ESG advisory. In addition to that, I work with the SC Lauder family who runs the Equity Alliance, which is based in that. So I'm actually starting to see it a lot. But just completely outside of that, on that front, I'm starting to see their job demand go up just as much as any other firm. Yeah. Huge. Right? Like their kids who are turning down, maybe not McKinsey, but, may, but definitely non-Bain McKinsey BCGs to go to these boutique impact mission-driven funds. Mm-hmm. Right? So now the middle market has to have a mission to compete. And, and it just is what it is. And that's on hiring and for deals. Culturally, It's just known that you should recycle. It's known that you should be politically correct. It's known that you should be a better person. Cancel culture is a thing. And while it may have some people's opinions in one area, like the general driver there is like hold people accountable. So that's all uh, a good thing. Additionally, we're seeing capital go into it. I have friends who work at Blackstone and TPG under their ASG things. And they're the first people I'm seeing from those funds actually reaching down into the venture community. And I think that when I see people in our community want to pivot, it's either to a super fund, a crypto fund, or they want to do something climate slash ESG. And that is a phenomenal thing. Maybe some hard science, but I would be very, very confident in saying that of the last year or two, those are the three buckets that I see people do. Nice. That's good. That's good. Yeah. I mean, I think the ESG side of it to do it right too, like you're going to get the hard science that's in there. Like the company. It is science. It, it, it is science. Like, and like we're cracking microbes. Yeah. We're cracking molecules open to make them do different things that they've never done before. And that's as hard as hard science gets, right? With the unbelievable impact on the back end as to what it can do. It's logistics, supply chains, it's biotech, it's hard, bi- it's hard tech, frontier tech. And uh, it's also international domestic market investing as well. It's all encompassing. It's very similar to fintech, actually. Yeah. No. Totally. <laughs> which, by the way, a lot of fintech is enabling people, which is, in fact, impact. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So. No doubt, and that's what it's the international thing too. But people got to realize, like, there are countries that are a lot farther than us when it comes to hydrogen and decarbonization and renewable natural gas, and they learn some shit right? How can we learn from those corporations? And then how can we help some of those entrepreneurs that are over there 
come here and some of the ones here go over. And that's why for our fund, it's in our documents up to 30%, I'm sorry, up to 25% or our fund can be invested internationally because that's where, that's where a lot of the innovation is. Agreed. Clay, any thoughts? I just echo everything you said. I, I think that I'm seeing more and more people at the junior ranks start thinking about what's next. And yeah, I think the four buckets of places they're looking to shift is either downstream to a larger fund, get paid a little bit more through those larger fees, go to a crypto fund, go to something literally just getting off the ground that could be kind of agnostic, any software company or ESG. Um, other than that, I mean, I think those are the recurring themes that I'm seeing, but I think five years ago, like crypto and ESG weren't in that bucket. Like I think the, the first two probably stayed the same, but I think the latter two have gotten added. So it's kind of interesting to watch. Yeah, quite frankly, it's just like where the LP dollars are going to. Yes, everybody's still chasing the money. That's just where their money is. And this time it feels good. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Quick fire. Clay, you want to take us out? Yeah, let's do it. So, Vic, we do these at the end. It's supposed to be answered in two sentences or less. Not good at actually hitting that threshold, but try to give it. First one is what is a recommendation you hear regularly that you think is bad advice? Bad advice. I think where people try to find the answers in the numbers in this business, it's bad advice. Because if the answer was in the numbers, we'd hire spreadsheets instead of people. And so you really, yeah, you got to know the, got to know the math, but it's like at the end of the day, it's really about people. And so focus on the people, not the numbers. When everyone else is telling you, focus on the numbers. I'm going to see this, you know, model that pencils to the fifth decimal point on your deals. It just doesn't, I don't believe Yeah. It. It's like the earlier you get, the more and more you're just people evaluator more than anything else. People and narrative numbers yeah. aren't really, aren't really going to tell you much. Uh, like that in, so second one here, in the last year, what new belief, behavior, habit has most improved your life? I think listening more than speaking or talking has been the biggest impact. Be able to listen, but not just hear, but listen and internalize what people are saying and focus on it has been the biggest thing because I used to have this thing about being like running harder and faster and stronger and having the highest pain thresholds of everyone in the room. I missed a lot of shit. You're not listening to people then you really got to freaking listen, understand what they're saying, understand what they're doing and why they're saying it and being able to internalize it in addition to be able to like go hard fast. And I think just listening beyond anything is, is the most important thing because a lot of people in this business like to talk. God knows they freaking like to talk and, and show how smart they are. And it's really about listening. But I think when we do these, we usually get pretty cliche answers, but we got back-to-back -back unique answers. So you're already off to a hot start. Third one, aside from having to say no all the time, what's the worst part about venture? I think the hardest part, in addition to having to say no to brilliant people that you think that you know are going to change the world at some point, the number side of this business, like in how you run on a fund on two and 20, can kind of suck. 
because getting the people you need to service your people the way you want to service, making it work in, in some of this, like I'm, I'm two and 20. And that's why it can be really freaking hard. And that's why I can understand people want to raise these huge funds. So they have more management fee. But I think the bad part is that people become asset managers as part to business builders. It's all about playing the AUM game. So it's the economics of this, of the business. Well, it's great. No one should never fucking complain about being a job in BC, but sometimes you look at kind of the incentives and the economics, you're like, I think there's a better way. I haven't figured it out yet. So I don't have the answers, but sometimes you look at it and go, what's the right balance between AUM and management fee and be able to do the right thing. Yeah, I totally agree. How crazy is it that fund economics, I'm pretty sure that was just an arbitrary number. There's no science there. That was just when they started out, they're just like, yeah, we're just going to decide on this for a management fee and this for carry and everybody else is just going to adopt it. Hasn't changed at all. Yeah. And it's crazy. Like, and it's like, you know, it's not even pattern recognition. It's just the minions off the cliff. Like, no, this way it's always been done. Yeah. No one yeah. You can't bump the, either of those up or else like good luck attracting LP dollars. It's crazy. Let's see. we got two more here. So best piece of advice for junior VCs with those aspiring to break into venture. I think the best thing you could do to break into VC is have patience, have gratitude, be thankful for what you've got in front of you make the best of the opportunities you have in front of you. But what's going to make you successful as a VC is being a better person. And so work on your person. And that means a lot of different things, to a lot of different people, whether it, but the better person you are, the more successful you will be. Like, and, and whether that means you own your personal journal, meditation, whatever it is, don't focus on being the smartest person in the world because you will not be the smartest person. You will not be the smartest person in that room there will always be somebody, whether it's a corporate executive or an entrepreneur or someone else that knows more. So this whole bullshit about the prepared mind, your mind will not be prepared as experts because you'll never be. So don't pretend, don't portray, and don't like, Excel took the prepared mind thing and did really well with it, but everyone else tries to adopt it. So quit focusing on being how smart you are and proving how smart you are. Focus on being a good person because the better the person you are, the more people are going to want to work with you. And that's the name of this game. The nice dumb guy, the portrayed dumb guy always gets picked before the smart asshole. Yeah. The smartest asshole in the room is ineffective. Right. So like, yeah, you want to be hundred percent. Last one here. Who's a mentor of yours that you want to give credit to? I think I've been awful at finding mentors and utilizing mentors. So everyone should be better at this than me. And so I've been bad at it. I've never really done it. But what I try to do is take something from everybody I meet and work with and turn it into some type of lesson. And some of those people are people that I only know by listening to their podcasts. And some of them are people I've been fortunate enough to work with. And, and, and some have been family. So I don't have any one person looking back on my career. I've probably missed a lot of stuff because there were probably some great, I know some great folks that came across um, my path that I didn't leverage to the place I should. So for me right now, it's everything from the folks I'm listening to, whether it's Eric Thomas or Ed Milet or Tom Bilyeu to even like the senior associate stuff in Ogali, I saw on my team where I think I learned stuff from every day. So 
I don't, unfortunately, I don't have a good answer for you other than I probably fucked up by not having a mentor. So just learn from who you can. Cool. Yo, thank you so much for kicking it. I'm looking forward to hitting you one-on-one and for yeah. everyone in the story, brother. Huge thanks again to Victor for coming on this week. And we hope that each of you pick up something valuable from this talk. If you're looking to get in touch with Victor, we've linked his social profiles within the description below. And you can also find his contact info in the Confluence VC directory. For next steps, if each of you have not submitted your info to become a member yet, you can do that through our website at www.confluence.vc. And also, if you want to become a subscriber to the newsletter, we offer a ton of free resources in there each and every week meant to help you become better at your individual roles. You can subscribe there at www.confluence.substack.com. Hope that helps. Hope to hear from you all soon.